All right, we're going to go ahead now and start with Joshua chapter 2, Rahab and the spies. Um, In in chapter 2, we see, let me go back a bit. In chapter 1, we saw Joshua being called by God specifically to get ready to lead the people into the promised land. Moses had led the people ever since. uh, they had left Egypt and left slavery in Egypt, and God had delivered them uh, through the the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea, and, and other things after that. Uh, God had uh, used Moses to lead the people after their rebellion. If if you recall, the first time that they were the Israelites were going to sp- send spies into uh, the into Canaan, into the Promised Land, was. 40 years previous to what we're going to read about today. It was during the, the prior generation when when Joshua and Caleb uh, were both younger men and both had been the only spies of the, the ones sent into Canaan, uh, the only ones to come back and say, hey, we can do this. Everybody else looked at it and said, no, no, God, uh, the, the, they weren't looking at God, rather, only Caleb and Joshua we're looking to God, and everybody else said, "Well, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. You know, we're 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 um, we're tiny compared to the people of the land." Well, Joshua and Caleb both uh, re- rejected that kind of fear, uh, and instead relied on God, and God rewarded them uh, by allowing them, really, of all all of their generation, uh, passed away in the desert, but Joshua and Caleb. Are, are allowed to uh, return and go into the Canaan, into the promised land um, after the wilderness journeying, after the wilderness wandering, um, and everybody else dies off that's like 20 years old and, and younger. Um, only Joshua and Caleb are going to remain of that older generation. Even Moses is going to, to pass away before he can, can enter the promised land. Well, in chapter 1, we saw God telling Joshua, okay, now's the time. Now we're going to do what we've been waiting 40 years to do. Uh, I'm going to send you into the land of promise, and you're going to claim those cities um, that you've not built and uh, the the good land that's there. Uh, you're going to be able to uh, claim it and possess it. So... We saw Joshua uh, telling the people, let's get ready. He, he took uh, took command. Um, God, uh, the people turn and say, you know, we're, we're with you. Even the, the tribes we saw that had promised uh, their, their lands were, pro- were going to be on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, they, too are going to go and fight uh, before they actually go to enjoy their land on the east side of the Jordan. They're going to go help their their brothers on the west side of the Jordan reclaim their land. And all of them say, uh, we're going to do exactly what you say. This is chapter 1, verse 16. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. 
Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so that that same refrain that God had spoken to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you here at the end of, or there at the end of chapter one, um, <clears throat> the the tribes that have uh, a land allotments on the east side of the Jordan, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they look and say, okay, well, we're going to go fight, just like we were told to, and, and just like uh, we promised back when Moses was um, in charge. We'll go with you, Joshua. And then finally they say, we're going to go with you, only you, Joshua, be strong and courageous. So a lot of times there in chapter 1, Joshua is reminded <clears throat> to be strong and to be courageous. Um, the rest of the book of Joshua is going to be the description of how Joshua fulfills that command from God and that request from uh, the people to be strong and courageous and lead the people into claiming this land that God had promised them hundreds of years before. So as we start it in chapter 2, Chapter 2, Joshua, Rahab, and the Spies. Um, Joshua, in uh, chapter 2, let's start at verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. Now, we see here that Joshua is acting proactively to send spies into the land. God told him to be strong and courageous and go forth and, and take the land. Well, Joshua didn't just sit back on an easy chair. Uh, he prepared and then began to take uh, good, proactive, wise steps to move toward what God had told him to do. So <clears throat> one thing you do in a military operation is find out what the enemy uh, has opposing you. Uh, reconnaissance or spying out and so uh, spying out the enemy or we're doing a reconnaissance on them and that's exactly what Joshua does Um, just because God has given you the land and has promised victory doesn't mean that you're supposed to sit around on the east side of the Jordan doing nothing Um, if uh, I think it's interesting you look back at chapter 1 verse 6 Uh, which says, Be strong and courageous. This is God speaking to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. I think the language there is interesting, because God clearly is doing this, and this is God's providential um, moving forward of the history of the nation of Israel into to take the land and to be where God wants them to be. But he says, Joshua... Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. God is going to do this, as he does uh, almost everything, uh, through human actors. Uh, in today's, in the days of the church, it's no less than that than it was in Joshua's day. God is going to use uh, human actors to move his plan forward. Uh, in this case, it was Joshua. So he's going to cause the people to inherit the land through Joshua. Uh, God did the promising. 
God sets it up. God providentially provides. But he's going to use those human beings, real flesh and blood uh, human beings, uh, and, and interestingly, often not angels, uh, not his sovereign direct intervention into uh, human affairs. God does that sometimes, but usually, as here, he's going to use people to uh, to do what he has told them to do. If you look at the Great Commission in Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations. God, we don't just sit and watch God do it. We are commanded to do it ourselves. Uh, and then God is at work through the Holy Spirit in bringing that about. We see an example of that here in Joshua for us today because God used Joshua to bring the people into the land. Um, <clears throat> the um, God's going to use then as now physical, mortal, flawed, and unfinished people like Joshua uh, to do his work, causing the people to move forward into the battle that lies ahead. Why does God do it that way? I don't know. He's God. God sometimes acts directly to intervene in a miraculous way uh he's going to actually do that through joshua when we get to the the destruction of jericho but the people are there that god is working through uh the people had to walk around jericho i know we're jumping ahead a little bit but they will walk around and obey what god has told them to do before the 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 walls come tumbling down in the same way before the the people with Joshua are going to enter the promised land by crossing over the Jordan. The Jordan, the waters of it will pile up um, several miles uh, north of them and they will, the water will become, or the stream will become dry. And the people have to react to do that. Um, but the people are responding in faith and then God acts. Um, and we see that over and over again. Um, is that any different today? Um, I'd ask you to look at Hebrews 13.8, Malachi 3.6, and James 1.7. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, Jesus hasn't changed. Um, the fact, the way he worked with Joshua is the same way he works with us today. Um, you'll see similar texts at uh, Malachi 3.6 and James 1.17. So take a look at that when, when you get a chance. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a work, good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, as as New Testament believers, we're called uh, to battle, um, just like Joshua was called to battle, not in the same physical sense, um, but in a spiritual sense. We're called to daily battle. Uh, we see division and conflict sometimes from um, our families, from the people that we love the most. Uh, because the world opposes the truth of God. 
um, mysteriously and miraculously, God brings peace out of that as we take up the cross of Christ and follow him. Uh, and as we give up our lives for Christ, he gives us true life in return. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, Jesus said. Now, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers at the beginning of of Matthew. So what in the world does this mean? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come, not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves mother or father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, today's world is one of division. Um, not that we go out and try to find division and try to cause it, but just the presentation of the truth of Christ and the gospel of Christ is going to cause division in the world. Uh, it's a sad reality that we need to be prepared for. We need to count the costs uh, that that is going to be so. Um, but just like it was, and this is where you know we can look back at the Old Testament and hear the, the promises and the, the uh, examples that are given there and have encouragement. Because Joshua was going to face a battle too. And Joshua was going to have to be strong and courageous. Remember how many times God uh, and, and had to, how many times Joshua heard, be strong and courageous because he was going into battle. And we have him as an example today to be able to look to, to, um, to be encouraged as we go into a spiritual battle as he was going into a physical and spiritual battle. Um, looking at these men, the spies, in chapter 2, uh, where do they go and where do they spend the night? They are specifically told to spy out the land, and in particular, uh, Jericho. So they need to go there. They need to look over the city. So they got to have a place to stay. Where do they stay? Well, the YMCA was closed. So where do they go? They spend the night in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Um, she's described in the ESV with that term, prostitute. Um, so it was interesting that the Hebrew word there, um, probably butchering the pronunciation, but it's Isha, uh, Strong's H802, um, that's used it really just means woman um it's the same used word used uh, as at the creation of eve in genesis 2 22 um it seems like I've, I've heard commentators describe her as being a tavern keeper um and and while that may or may not be so uh i think we it's not open for serious debate as to what her job was um in Hebrews 11.31, she's referred to as Rahab the prostitute. That's Strong's G-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-
4204 from the Greek porny, um, a harlot or a prostitute. Uh, we, we basically know what that means. Uh, a woman who sells these for a body for sexual purposes. Uh, you can use, you can hear the root of that word in our English word pornography, uh, which combines uh, porne uh, with graphene, uh, which means to write, uh, graph or, or graph, uh, graphic, graphene. Um, you combine those two Greek words, you get pornography. Um, so that uh, goes to show us, I, I think, pretty clearly what uh, what her business was. But what amazing things God is going to do uh, through her, um, nonetheless. Um, Rahab's work probably was not seen as disgraceful in her culture. Um, God, in uh, you know, just because her culture, though, as a, a member of that Canaanite society, um what the culture viewed as good or bad isn't the end result. It is clear in looking, um, the Rahab will come out as we read this together. She's going to be one of the great women of faith in the Bible. She's going to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ in the earthly lineage of him. Um, God is going to do amazing things through her. So, but what she did would have been not a profession that God, uh, that is in God's best, uh, that he wants for people because God intended from the beginning, I think it's clear uh, for the sexual life to be played out between one man and one woman until separated by death. Uh, look at that at Matthew nineteen three through nine as, as far as what Jesus will, will say on that subject. But since God intended that to be so, uh, in which I think Jesus' words in Matthew 19 make clear, uh, prostitution is against God's design for men and women, regardless of what Canaanite culture may have felt. But the, um, you know, it goes to the, the issue of love the sinner, uh, hate the sin. You know, the fault lies in the sin, and the consequences uh, often of this kind of sex trade uh, falls often on the workers in it particularly harshly um, <clears throat> and uh, for, for all kinds of reasons. But the, um, what God can do, regardless of any of our past, is amazing because God is a God who raises the dead. He raises the dead physically. He raises the dead emotionally and spiritually and brings them into new life and that's exactly what we're going to see in Rahab what the what uh, the world despises God lifts up uh, when we look to him in faith and those that the world idolizes God humbles uh, he makes the motherless woman the mother of children that's from Psalm 113 7 through 9 um, interesting because Rahab will wind up being one of the ancestors uh, of of Jesus, uh, and but yet nowhere in chapter two, as we read about Rahab's family, um, do we read about her own children. 
you know, if you look at down at uh, verses 12 and 13, we'll read that a little more closely in a minute. It mentions other family members, but it doesn't mention any children of Rahab's. Um, I think at that point, that's a fair implication we can make that she had no children. Uh, but God is a God who makes the motherless woman like the mother of children. And sometimes he will make them into the mother of children. Uh, and that's what we're going to see with Rahab. Uh, after Rahab joins with Israel and takes a Hebrew husband named Salmon, um, sounds kind of fishy, uh, Matthew 1, 5, just kidding, uh, she takes a husband named Salmon, uh, she will have children and become an ancestor of David, the great king, uh, and then eventually the ancestor of Jesus, the king of kings. You know, God is no respecter of persons. He takes people from the lowliest estate and the darkest background that the world can look down on uh, and will make them into uh, have children that sit among princes. Um, it's an amazing thing that, that God does. Um, <clears throat> all right. In every nation, Peter says in Acts 10, 34, God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him, and does what is right is acceptable to him. Rahab wasn't born a member of the Israelite people, this people that God was doing an amazing work in. Uh, he was creating a nation that uh, would be uh, around uh, for hundreds of years, now thousands of years, um, to bring his son, Jesus, into the world. Um and Rahab will be grafted in and become part of that family, uh, though she wasn't born with uh, a Jew or a Hebrew. Uh, she will become a Hebrew um, by choosing what is right and choosing the God of the Hebrews over uh, the nation and the gods that she had grown up uh, under, uh, worshiping. All right. So the spies have gone into Jericho, and they stay with Rahab um, through the night to um, stay in her house. Um, and we'll, we'll see later where exactly they stay in that house. Um, the king of Jericho, anytime you've got spies and, and uh, intelligence units uh, going on with, uh, with military operations... You're going to have counterintelligence too. Well, the king of Jericho has spies as well. And his counterintelligence sources are telling him that the that the Israelites are in town. And that they're he knows they're camped across the Jordan. I think it would be pretty hard for them not to know that they were there. When you look at the size of the, the nation of Israel and how many people are camped across the Jericho River... He knew they were out there, and he's taking steps to figure out what's going on. And he's learned that some of the spies from the Hebrews have come into his city. Um, and so what's he going to do about it? Because uh, they tell him, it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Uh-oh. Verse 3. 
Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Okay, He's heard they're there or suspects they're there in Rahab's um, house. And come on, Rahab, give them up. Bring them out. Tell us that they're, you know, give them up and um, let us deal with them. Verse 4. <clears throat> but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, <coughs> the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Okay? So she comes out, Rahab being confronted that um, the king of Jericho thinks the spies are there. Turns out he's correct. Maybe he had uh, informants that told them, told him that um, the Israel, the Hebrews, some strangers, were seen entering Rahab's house. And, <clears throat> but at any rate, he suspects it. And Rahab lies to protect these men that have taken up uh, and being protected in her home. Um, but having taken these men into her house, they're under her protection. Uh, she does not betray them to this earthly king. She she acts to protect them. And I think we can favorably compare her here um, with the uh, brave people under Nazi rule um, in the last century who hid Jews during World War II to save their lives. And, you know, when, when asked, are you keeping Jews here or confronted somehow with that, they didn't give up. Uh, the, the, the the just ones didn't give up these people that have been under their protection in the same way Rahab does not give up these men though it takes her lying um, interesting thing we could mull around on for a bit <clears throat> is it wrong to lie well yes I, I think it is wrong to lie um, absolutely it's wrong to lie look at uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5 and verse 20 and you'll understand what God thinks about lies um, let's read that together Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 20 and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor you know God God is a true though all men be liars Romans 3, 4. Jesus is the truth, uh, the way and the life, um, John 14, 6. Our lives and words should demonstrate truth at all times. Um, if we doubt that, look for just for an example at um, Proverbs 12 with me. Um, Proverbs chapter 12, starting at verse 17. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Um, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. 
Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So, you know, God does not um, like lying. He, it is, it is, it's wrong. We are to be people of the truth because God is a God of truth. But faced with the destruction of these men who had come into her home, Rahab chose to do the right thing to protect their lives. Um, I hope not taking this out of context, but if you compare when when Jesus says, um, when he's confronted by the Pharisees, um, about his disciples um, breaking a, a rule, um, one of the uh, the commandments, uh, one of the rules that uh, these leaders called out that he that they're doing wrong, he he com- he looks back to the um, when the David had gone in and taken the showbread. You know, which wasn't for him. It was supposed to only be for the priests. But given the circumstances, David needed food. And which is better, to save life or to kill? And clearly here, Rahab does the right thing by saving the life of the men that are with her. Um, <clears throat> all right. Um Mark 3, verse 4, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? So I think like uh, another example you can look back at is the the Hebrew midwives in the chapter, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 1, <clears throat> in which the, the midwives uh, are commanded by Pharaoh to kill the Hebrew babies that are born and the Hebrew midwives lie to say, well, the Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They just give birth before we can get here. And well, they're telling a a big one in order to protect the lives of the children because they choose to obey God's law in saving life rather than Pharaoh's law of, of taking it. So Rahab, like those midwives, uh, is more interested in, she's dedicated to following the God of Israel and his commandments. Um, Nothing's going to stop her, uh, not the word of an earthly king, Um, not any threats or or any promise of what might happen for her uh, if she gives up the men into the king's hand. Well, you know, we were talking about Rahab, the the men spending the night there at Rahab's house. And, um, you know, despite what her profession was, the the men are not um, staying in the house, uh, partaking of any of that. Um, if you look at where they she hid them, and this, some of this is just practical, um, where they where does she hide them? 
She hides them on the roof of her house. Um, look at verses 8 through 11 uh, of Joshua, uh, chapter 2. Before the men lay down, <clears throat> she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before, before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, that is the Canaanites, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So Rahab here, having sent away the, the king of Jericho's men, um, she goes up on the roof to where she's hidden the men. <clears throat> and she lets them know that she is, uh, or she tells them a little bit of, of her story and how she learned about the God of Israel and what had happened, just like her fellow countrymen had heard about what had happened at the crossing of the Red Sea 40 years before. And the the people of Canaan were shook up by it. They're They're torn up. And she recognizes that this God that is over the Israelites and has brought them out of Egypt, that he is, and this is her words, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. He's not the God of a field or the God of water or the God of lightning or the God. God is the God of all the earth and all the heavens above. And she recognizes that. And so her faith now, <clears throat> her trust is going to be in the God of the Hebrews. She goes up to tell the, these men that she's hidden that. Um, <clears throat> the um, Look at um, some things here about, about Rahab. Um, where she's hidden them. On the roof of the house. Um, she has. Hidden them under. I, 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 hidden them under flags. Uh, strands of flags. Uh, but let's let's take a little bit of time. And look at that. Uh, three, three things stand out to me. Uh, here. One is that Rahab was a practical woman. She. Did what was practical. And had effect. Uh, for, uh, as we might say it, for the real world, uh, for the visible uh, and practical sense. She was wise and prepared for the future. She was wise in how to hide people accurately and how to go about that. And she was an industrious woman. Uh, she prepared for her household flax that was used in making clothes. Um, <clears throat> where do you get linen? Linen cloth? You get it from flax. You take these, uh, um, you know, flax seeds. You plant them. They grow up into plant into plants. They're cut down. The um, fibers from the flax are used to make linen cloth. Now, if you really, really want a uh, a cool 
uh, interesting comparison here. If you look at the um, from Proverbs chapter 31, which is the uh, woman who fears the Lord uh, passage from verses 10 onward. Um, if you look in particular at 31 verses 21 through 24, she is not afraid that this is the wise woman is presented at the end of Proverbs. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. You know, that wise woman at the end of Proverbs chapter 31, we can look back at the example given by Rahab and that little detail there about how Rahab had flax set out on her roof to dry shows us how she is an example, quite literally, of this uh, wise and godly woman uh, at the end of, of chapter 31 in Proverbs. <clears throat> She's prepared flax and fibers uh, that will be made into cloth and... Uh, and she's practical, not just in having prepared the linen. We see that in her industry in, in um, taking care of her home. But how she hides them in. You know, what literally is the last place that is going to be searched if uh, if someone should come and start looking for the spies that are hidden in her home? Um Literally, the last place to search is the top of the house. Because if they start at the bottom and work their way up, that's going to be the last place. Uh, they're going to have a little more chance to escape if, if necessary. Um, but they're also away from prying eyes of the king's men. Uh, maybe from other cu customers that might be coming in the house, in and out of the house. Also from her own household members or fellow workers. <coughs> Probably that's combined. But... The all that um, anyone that's in the house, the more people that see these men, the more risk there is that the secret will be given up, because it's just inevitable um, that if the more people see these men that are hidden in her home, the more chance there is that they will be um, ratted out, that they will be. Uh, discovered because of that. So keeping the men up where there weren't any other men or women around on the top of the roof is, is pretty smart. Plus you got this convenient flax fiber that you've got laid out, uh, probably in bundles to, or, or laid out to dry, however it was. And they can hide under that um, when, when necessary. Uh, so really smart... Uh, Smart lady here uh, that we're dealing with with Rahab. Very clever, um, but as we've also seen, not just clever, but wise because she wasn't somebody, um, she was constantly at work to to provide linen for her home. Um, this was an industrious person. Um, <clears throat> the uh, We're going to see later in verse 16 how Rahab's practical, wise advice 
is demonstrated when she tells the spies how to get away from the city. Um, she's going to give them some advice that they follow and that will, uh, I think, help keep them alive. Um, <clears throat> kind of an interesting thing to think about this too, Rahab's hiding place kept these Israelite spies away from the temptations of our home, uh, which we got to be realistic about given um, her work. Um, may, there may have been other ladies there uh, that uh, were in this business under Rahab. Uh, I think that's a good bet. Um, but she, as much as uh, anyone, probably understood the thoughts and ways of men. Um, and referring there, look at Proverbs 27, 20. Uh, and she guarded the spies from the temptations uh, in her home while she's taking care of them. Um, and how wise we would be to guard ourselves from what might injure us or enslave us. But Rahab was worried um, reading into this, but I think it's a fair, um, a fair assumption uh, that she would have known uh, the temptations that would be there. And so she keeps them on the roof, maybe for that cause as well. Um, <clears throat> unlike her own people who had heard about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and the destruction of these Amorite kings, her whole country is in fear of God. Okay, they are in uh, shaking in their boots, we might say from fear of God. Well, Rahab went one step beyond that. She turned in her fear of God to devotion to God. She turned in faith. She didn't just quake in her boots and that the judgment might be coming from God from, through these Israelites. She turned then in devotion and faith toward God. Um, and I think her reaction of obedient faith, turning to the God who had done so much for Israel and aligning herself with Israel, would place her eventually in the great list of faithful examples that we are to follow and um, that are found in Hebrews chapter 11. And because she's listed there uh, personally. Uh, and in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 5, um, she is mentioned um, specifically. Um, <clears throat> working back at Joshua chapter 2, um, verse 12, we start reading there. Now then, this is Rahab speaking. Remember, she's just declared that the Lord of the Israelites, the God of the Israelites, is God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. God of everything and everywhere. Very unusual way of understanding uh, the the nature of a, of a deity in her day. Um, most of the people of her land viewed gods as the God of a particular place or the God of a particular vocation or the God of a particular um air um type of land like water or river or things like that she recognizes that this god he's the god everywhere of the earth below and the heavens above having said that 
having declared that that's the God that these Israelites worship. Now then, she says, please swear to me by the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, uh, the Jehovah or Yahweh God, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will do, deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver their lives from death. Take just a second there and look who was living uh, in her home with her that she's protecting. Her dad and mom, her brothers and sisters, all of them that she wants to, uh, and all that belong to them. So their children or their um, servants and deliver our lives from death. So she wants a promise from these Israelites that, hey, I kept you guys alive. What sure promise can you give me that you'll do the same for me? So verse 14. And the men said to her, our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land and we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I think we could say that she enters into a kind of covenant uh, with these men. Um, and that'll be signified by the scarlet cord we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, in order to save herself and her family uh, and get a sure promise from these guys that it will, uh, she will be um, kept alive uh, when the destruction comes upon the rest of Jericho. She enters into this promise, this covenant with these men. Um, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter her, encounter you. That's the good advice she gives them. Very practical, real advice of how to stay alive from the searchers that will come. Go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. So the men said to her, verse 17, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours. That you have made a swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you, in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Something about that, too, is, is amazing. It's the very window. I'm not sure what this means. But it's the very window that... The Israelite spies, she lets them down through a rope um, out of that window that's, you know, her house is on the city wall, and she lets them out through that window with a rope. It's that very window that she ties the scarlet cord uh, to when the, to keep her and the members of that house alive when the destruction comes. Um, 
it's hard to read that and not see, and I think we're meant to see, um, that just like the blood was put on the doorposts and the lentils of the houses of the Hebrew slaves before the first Passover, uh, thinking there of Exodus chapter 12, verse 7, and chapter 12, verses 21 through 23, you know, the Jews had to take the blood of the Passover lamb and wipe it on the the lentils uh, and the doorposts of the houses they were in. And when that happened, the Passover, the um, angel of death would pass over them during that last terrible plague um, that fell on Egypt. And uh, the firstborn of the, of the Hebrews would not be slain because they were covered by the blood. And no less than that here, Rahab signifies, you know, the, the door these men leave her house. It's not a door, it's a window. But the, the way they leave her presence there as they go to go back to Joshua and report back, it's that window that she has to mark with a scarlet cord. And, of course, scarlet is the, the bright red color of blood. And I think it's amazing that God didn't just graft in Rahab because we know the whole picture. We know that the um, Rahab will, will marry a, uh, a good Hebrew boy uh, and have children. And through that descent will come King David. And then eventually the great King of Kings, Jesus the Christ, and who uh, himself will be the great uh, Lamb of God. But She's given her own Passover experience in a way here because the, her window is marked with blood. Her window has this scarlet cord in it that is a sign uh, that she will be passed over by the destroyer. Not the angel of death this time, but by the, uh, the destruction that we'll see in a few chapters, the destruction that will fall on Jerusalem. I'm sorry, the, the destruction that will fall on Jericho will not fall on her house because of that scarlet cord. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a total God thing because, yes, the Israelites won't destroy her when they see her and anyone in her house when that scarlet cord is there. But if you'll think ahead to what, the way the walls come tumbling down and Rahab's wall house is built into the wall, when the walls fell down, Rahab's house would have been standing. And the Israelite people didn't, didn't yell loud enough that the walls fell down. God brought about the destruction of the walls of Jerusalem. And yet he would pass over her house. And he would allow her house not to fall with the rest of the wall. And what a beautiful picture that is of salvation from destruction. Um, from all who look in faith uh, to the blood of the ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus, the, the descendant of Rahab by earthly descent, who's, uh, and it's Jesus whose sacrifice will make every other sacrificial lamb previous to him to have meaning, made them to have effect, and the blood of Jesus will cause every sacrifice we could make after him totally meaningless 
but what a beautiful picture that is and symbolized here uh, in the life of Rahab uh, by hanging that scarlet cord in her window. She had to act in faith. She had kept these men alive, but would they do what they promised? Uh, would the God of the Israelites, these men that she'd rescued, would that God really do what he said he'd do? Uh, or what they, these men had said they would do? Uh, would God really fulfill on that promise? And nonetheless, she acts in faith to hang that scarlet cord out. And um, it will result in the salvation of her and her family. So the men, <clears throat> um, the um, <clears throat> the men leave um, the city. Verse twenty-two. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Well, now, where did they get that idea? Uh, Rahab had advised them. Uh, and let's not short-circuit the wisdom of her advice. Um, that she told them, hey, guys, go hang out in the, in the hills for three days. And they do that. And when they do, they are kept alive. Uh, goes again to her wisdom and her uh, her being a, a clever and wise woman to know how to how to do things how to be uh, successful in the world um, <clears throat> but also um, we see her wisdom in following in faith after the the one true God here verse 23 then the two men return so they return to Joshua <clears throat> they return to the Israelite camp they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now here's one of the neat things about where they had stayed. Okay, I think we can safely read into this. That who among all the people of Jericho would would have the ear of the man on the street and the perception of people in the street than Rahab? Um, the men, the spies that Joshua sent into the land had deliberately or inadvertently, we don't know, um, found a person that would have a good knowing of, of how people felt about things. I think she would have been uh, wise in the ways of the world, wise in the, the perceptions of her countrymen, and listen to what she just told them uh, earlier in the chapter. That, uh, verse 11, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God of the heavens and the earth and the heavens above and the earth beneath. Rahab, the, the spies had gone into Rahab's house and found this great source of information. You know, they might have gone to a hundred different places and not gotten such good and accurate information as they got by going to the house of Rahab. Uh, I think in part because she was just a smart lady and a wise woman. 
Um, and an observant one that knew how her countrymen, maybe because of her profession, maybe just because she was a wise woman too and, and knew her uh, knew her countrymen, but that she knew uh, that the hearts of the people were, were turned in fear. And now when the spies come back, they can report that to Joshua. Um, <clears throat> where we go from here? Um, the, um, we'll look from here. It will move, you know, the, the account will move, uh, to the march of Israel into the promised land with the crossing of the Jordan river in chapter three. Um, and, um, see in the next few chapters, the destruction of Jericho. And with that, don't forget that as the, the Jerichoites are destroyed, there's an exception, and that is the house of Rahab. So because of her uh, turning to God, the God, the one true God of these Israelites that are coming to invade the land, um, because of that wise choice, her people, when the rest of those walls fall down, her house is going to be standing behind a scarlet cord. And uh, just as, uh, you know, I think it's not stretching things to say she built her house on a solid rock. And it wasn't literally where her home was built on that wall that mattered. It was the foundation of the pre the trust in the true God that led to Rahab's uh, home being saved in um, the chapters to come with the fall of Jericho. God. 